0: John chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. I think many times as Christians, when we receive messages from the Word, we like them sort of neatly packaged. We like to be able to sort of open it up, digest it, and move on. I don't think tonight's message and the passage we're going to look at lends itself to that. If you're like me, this this passage was something that I personally had to wrestle with in my own life. And it was not something that I could easily just read and study and then just sort of let go and move on to something else. It, It was something that I had to chew on, meditate on, pray over, and continue to ask God to work in my life from this passage. And so, I say that because I think that what we're going to talk about tonight, again, is is not things that we're going to just be able to open it up, get it, and just move on. I think we're going to have to wrestle with some of this tonight. I'm only planning on getting through verse 15 tonight, so what I'd like to do, I don't always do this, is just read verses 11 through verse 15, and let's remember again that not only is John talking to us about fellowship in this letter, but he's also correcting false doctrine through this letter. And one of the main things that he's correcting is that lifestyle doesn't matter. That all that matters is our profession of faith, our confession of faith. It doesn't matter how one lives. It doesn't matter what our behaviors like. And yet John is saying, oh no, real Christianity, genuine faith, fleshes itself out in our lives every day. And there should be a difference and a change that God makes in our life. Especially, especially for us as Christians in our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. One other thing I will say. I don't know how a Christian can truly plumb the depths of verses 11 through 15 of 1 John and somehow come away from a passage like this and not make the local church a priority in their life. Let's read these verses together and then I want to share some thoughts with you tonight from these verses. John says, for this is the gospel message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Not like Cain who was of the evil one and brutally murdered his brother. And Why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil but his brothers were righteous. Therefore, do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have crossed over from death to life because we love our fellow Christians. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his fellow Christian is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Verse 11. This is the Gospel message. It was a way for John to sort of, again, grab our attention because he's using words here that a herald would use. Someone that would go into the public square and say, you know, hear ye, hear ye. It's an announcement. It is a message that comes to us from God Himself. And He wants us to hear it. He wants us to listen attentively to what God has said. And John says, this is something that's not new. This is something you've heard from the beginning. From Jesus Himself. From the very beginning of His ministry on this earth. What has Jesus been telling us? He's been telling us and teaching us and declaring to us and announcing to us that we should love one another, that we should actively regard the welfare of one another. Now, keep your finger there in 1 John 3 and go back with me to the Gospel of John for just a moment, to John 13, and let's look at some of the teaching and announcing of Jesus. Jesus. Very familiar verses, but ones I want us to be reminded of, especially in the context of what John is going to teach us about tonight, which is loving one another. Notice that Jesus in John 13, 34 and 35 says this, I give you a new commandment to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. That's the newness of it. God always taught his people to love each other. But in the New Testament, when Jesus came to earth, he now said, I'm going to put, in a sense, a newness to this. Now I want you to love one another as I have loved you. I've now laid down and given you an example, a pattern to follow. And then he says this in verse 35. Everyone will know by this, that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Then go over to chapter 15 of John and look at verses 12 and 13. My commandment is this, Jesus says, to love one another just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this that one lays down his life for his friends. So John says, look, this is what we have heard from the beginning that we should Love one another. Are we loving one another? Are we demonstrating the reality of God in our lives? The genuineness of our salvation? Because I can't say, like many did in John's day, that I have a relationship with God, that I have fellowship with God, that I am close to God, but I don't love my fellow believers. John says that's foreign. In God's mind, if I love Him, and I have a relationship and fellowship with Him, then that means I also love His people. And I should be willing then to actively regard their welfare and lay down my life for them. And not make being part of the community of believers about me, but about them, you see. So let's go back to 1 John. Because now John wants to give us an example of what not to be and what not to do. If anybody has any question, John then goes all the way back to the beginning to an example of the early chapters of Genesis, and says, okay, I've reminded us all about loving one another, not like Cain, who was of the evil one, the devil, the hurtful one, the one who hurt others, not one who loved others. And notice John says that Cain brutally murdered In fact, that's what the net translation is. And I like that. That's one of the times where the net really nails it. Because if your translation just says Cain killed his brother, that really doesn't capture it. Because in the original language, it literally means he slaughtered his brother. He butchered his brother. That's what Cain did. Cain butchered his brother Abel. And notice John goes on to say, and why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil. In other words, there was a consciousness of the wickedness that Cain was doing. It wasn't like many people think, like, well, Cain, it, that, that was really unfair that God rejected his offering because he just brought what he thought he was supposed to bring. No, no, no. The Bible teaches It was very clearly revealed to Cain and Abel what they should bring as an offering to God, and he consciously rejected God's revelation and brought what he wanted to. And yet the Bible goes on to say, John goes on to say, but his brother's deeds were righteous. And that word righteous means it conformed to God's standards. That God had revealed to to the earliest of human beings This is how I want you to worship me. This is what's acceptable. This is what will meet my approval. If you do not come this way, if you do not worship this way, if you do not bring offerings this way, then they will be rejected. So from the very beginning of time, God set out what His standards were. See, this is the problem we still have today. We have people who want to approach God and worship God and even come to God on their own terms. And God says, look, I will welcome anybody that wants to come to me, but you've got to come my way. You want to worship me? You've got to worship me in spirit and in truth. You just can't come worshiping me any way you want. If you want to bring an offering, then this is the acceptable offering to bring. No other will do. And yet, somehow, even again, in our modern Christianity and and in our modern churches today, we think we can come to God and serve Him and live for Him and worship Him on our own terms and do it our way, and somehow it'll be acceptable. It'll be all right. And God, from the very beginning, said, No, there is my way, and that's the only way. And you've got to be willing to do it my way. And Cain didn't want to do it God's way. Abel did it God's way. In fact, again, let's look at this, because anytime you come to a passage like this where someone like Cain or Abel's referenced, I think it's a really good idea to stop right there and go back and read about it. So let's do that tonight. Keep your finger in 1 John, and let's go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 4, where this all takes place. And let's read about this from Genesis, chapter 4. Beginning at verse 1. Now the man had marital relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Then she said, I've created a man just as the Lord did. Then she gave birth to his brother Abel. Abel took care of the flocks while Cain cultivated the ground. Notice verse 3. At the designated time. What designated time? Who made a designated time? Well, God did. See, even back then, God gave the very first human beings, a designated time to come to Him, if you will, and bring their offerings. So even back then, worship, if you will, and offerings to the Lord was very orderly because God is an orderly God. It's not just do it whenever you want and, and bring whatever you want. God had given Cain and Abel clear revelation about when they should come, in his designated time, and what they should bring when they come. So notice, at the designated time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground for an offering to the Lord. Now there are some that believe that the reason why Cain's offering was rejected by God was simply because it was of the ground and it wasn't flocks like Abel brought. I don't believe that. I don't believe that to be the case. I think the clue to why it was rejected is, as we read on, But Abel brought some of the, and here's the first clue, firstborn of his flock. Even, and here's the next clue, the fattest of them. See, the difference between Cain and Abel was this. Notice, Cain just brought some. In other words, it wasn't the best. It, It wasn't the first fruits of what he had cultivated from the ground. It was whatever he wanted. In a sense, you could say it was the leftovers. It, It wasn't the very best of what Cain had brought from the ground. But Abel, the reason why Abel's offerings and sacrifices were acceptable to God is because they were exactly what God had prescribed. If you're going to come to me, then you need to bring your best. And Abel brought the firstborn. He brought the fattest. The very best that he had to offer to God. Because God is worthy of the very best. And God wanted to set that precedent right at the very beginning. So notice, the Lord was pleased with Abel and his offering. But with Cain and his offering, he was not pleased. So Cain became very angry. Instead of going, oh... God, I'm sorry. I should have listened to you. I should have done it my your way instead of my way. I should have done what my brother did and I will make sure that the next time I come, I bring my very best. No. No, because just like a lot of people throughout history, just like Cain, I'm not going to do it God's way. I'm going to do this my way. And when God rejects it and isn't pleased with it, instead of, you know, humbling oneself, and in a sense becoming broken before God, we get angry. And in a sense go, how dare God reject my offering? And then it goes even deeper. His expression was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your expression downcast? Now, God knew but God was trying to draw out of Cain because God was hoping that Cain would come to a place of repentance and confession. And then God warns him of something. He says, is it not true that if you do what is right, you'll be fine? In other words, Cain, if you'd have just done what I told you to do, everything would have been fine. Why didn't you just do what I told you to do? Sounds like almost a parent, doesn't it? If you'd have just done what I told you to do, we'd have no problems here, right? That's what God says to Cain. But then notice, he says, "...but if you do not do what is right, then you open up the door for sin." And and God paints a very vivid picture of sin. He says it is crouching at the door. In other words, God says to all of us, sin is like an animal that is poised to attack. It is looking for an opportunity to strike. That's what sin does when we don't do what's right. We automatically open up this door to this wild, untamed animal called Sin. And if we could just get that and grasp that, because that's the nature of sin. Notice God goes on to say, it desires to dominate you. Again, using the language that I'm using here to sort of paraphrase, it wants to eat you alive. It wants to take over your life. And isn't that true? That many people think, I can manage my sin. I can take care of this. It's not going to get out of control. And pretty soon, we even have a planet filled with human beings that sin has taken over their lives. They're not in control anymore. Sin is in control. they, They are totally dominated and enslaved to something in their life. They can't overcome it on their own. And then God says this, you must subdue it. You, Cain, must have power over it. Now, why would God say that? Because, again, He wants Cain to recognize something. I can't have power over this on my own. I need you, God, and your power to overcome it. Or else, I'm I'm dead in the water. There's no way I can stand up to this crouching, you know, animal that's ready to strike and pounce and take over. I need you, God. And then Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? And he replied, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? Literally in the Hebrew, am I my brother's watchman? Which means to guard to watch over, to protect, to preserve? And the answer is, yeah, we are. We are to be each other's protection. We are to have each other's backs. That's how relationships are supposed to work. And especially in a brother's case, his brother should not have been in danger in his company. But he didn't react to the rejection that God gave to his offering. And so what was his answer? We go back to 1 John. Notice these words again. In 1 John 3.12 Why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil, but his brothers were righteous. In other words, instead of changing his behavior and accepting responsibility for what he did, that it was wrong, notice what his, his idea was. I'm going to, and this are my. I'm going to eliminate the competition I'm going to remove what makes me look bad and get rid of it I'm not going to change I'm going to continue to do what I want to do so if Abel stays alive every time that this happens he's going to show me up because he's going to bring the best and I'm not going to do that so the only way that I know out of this is I got to get rid of him I've got to eliminate him. I've got to remove him from the equation. Now keep that in mind. Because John's going to build on that concept coming up and applying it to us even and how we relate to each other. So back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. Then John goes on to say, Therefore do not be surprised, brothers and sisters. Don't be amazed. Don't be astonished. If the world hates you if it wants to eliminate you and remove you and get rid of you. Why? Because if we are truly living for Christ, just as Christ did when he was alive, we show people up for who they really are. We, by living a righteous life that conforms to God's standards, shows the difference between the way we're living and the way they're living. And they don't want to change. So their answer is, let's get rid of these people who are making us look bad. Because we want to continue in our sin. We want to continue to live life our way, and we don't want to be exposed. We don't want to be shown up. So let's get rid of these people. Let's eliminate them. Let's remove them. It's exactly what they did with Jesus. That's why the religious leaders of Israel were so upset that they said, let's just take him to the Romans and get them to crucify him. Because Jesus was showing the religious leaders of Israel up for who they really were. They were a bunch of religious hypocrites. And they didn't like it. And they weren't going to change. And so the only answer is, let's get rid of Jesus. Let's remove him. Let's eliminate him. Let's get him out of the equation. And then we can continue to do what we're doing. Now, I said Sunday. If you come on Wednesday night, I think one of the things that you're going to hear is why is it so essential for us as Christians to make sure that we are loving each other as we are called to love each other. And one of the reasons why is so that we can counterbalance the hatred that we're going to get from the world. In other words, God wanted his people to be able to draw together and truly love on each other because he knew that if you're going to live for me, oh, you're going to be hated by the world. That, that's just it. I mean, Jesus even said, why are you surprised that the world hates you? It hated me before it hated you. If you're going to be one of my followers, you're going to be hated by the world. They're going to detest you. They're going to denounce you. They're going to try to eliminate you and remove you and get rid of you. They don't want you around because your righteous life exposes them for who they are and really even shows that that there are human beings that can live above sin. They don't want anybody showing that you can live above sin. They want to wallow in their sin and live in their sin. They don't want to be exposed. So... The message of the Bible is God wants his people to have an environment where they can, in a, in a sense, escape the refuge or escape to a refuge and be loved on because out there in the world it's going to be rough. Because they're not going to treat us well if we are truly living a life for Christ and standing up for what is right from God's perspective and conforming our life to the standards of God. We won't be well liked. You see? And because of that, that's why John says it's so important that we love each other. Because we're not going to get that kind of a relationship out there with people that are alienated from God and want to continue to live in their sin. So John says, Therefore do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know we are aware, we understand, we have assurance that we have crossed over. That we've literally been removed from death to life. That we've changed places, if you will. That we no longer are living for what's not worthwhile, death, but we now are gaining what is worthwhile, life, through Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. Therefore, or because we Love our fellow Christians. Don't miss that in verse 14. He doesn't say we know this because we know the Bible really well. He doesn't say we know this because of our prayer life. He doesn't say we know this because we're faithful servants. He doesn't say we know this because we witness to unbelievers. He says we know this because we love our fellow Christians, our spiritual family. That's how we know. And that's what Jesus taught. The greatest measure of our faith in Christ and our relationship with Christ when it's all boiled down and all said and done is our love for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We can... We can say all kinds of other things and we can throw all other kinds of other things up there to, you know, to make it look good. But at the end of the day, one of the things that you and I are going to be accountable for in our life with God is, did we really love our fellow Christians? Did we really actively regard one another? Did we lay down our lives for each other? Did we live for others or did, was it all about us? Which again is, sad to say, what a lot of times the church ends up being. It's all about self and it's about each individual rather than about others and what's best for one another. And I really believe that this is one of the things that we're going to be accountable for. We're going to have to answer for when we get to glory. You know, we've been looking in First Thessalonians on Sunday mornings about We should be a fellowship that encourages each other and builds each other up. And as we talked about Sunday, that appreciates the leadership and and helps the fellowship and, and heals relationships. Because it all falls in line with loving our fellow Christians. So I ask you tonight, as I had to ask myself, What are some things that I need to do, keep doing, or begin to do in my life to truly love my fellow Christians? Am I really loving my brothers and sisters as I should, as a follower of Jesus Christ? Notice John goes on then to say these very sobering words. The one who does not love remains in death. It doesn't mean that they're not saved. It means that we are separated from God because we're not in fellowship with God if we're not loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are in a condition of spiritual decay. We're not growing and maturing and and improving. We're actually decaying. And then he goes on to say this. Everyone who hates his fellow Christian is a murderer. Now, first of all, let's stop there. He is talking to Christians here. Because you can't hate a fellow Christian if you're not a a Christian. Then they're not your fellow Christian if you're not a Christian. So he's not talking about people who don't know the Lord. He's talking to believers and he's basically reminding us that it is possible for a Christian to hate their fellow Christians. Now I know, again, just like I would be. First time I even read this and studied this years ago, I was like, wow, you don't have to worry about that, God, because I don't hate my fellow Christians. But when you start to study what this means, then I had to take a little bit harder look at myself and realize that I was falling short, and here's why. Because the word means to be indifferent towards, to disregard, to disregard, To not actively regard the welfare of others. To, in a sense, renounce one choice for the sake of another choice. To choose me over my brothers and sisters. Or to choose something else over my brothers and sisters in Christ. From God's perspective, that's hate. And that's even why God in His Word equates this kind of hate to murder. Hang in there with me, let me show you why that connection can be made. Because it's in the context, again, of this whole Cain and Abel thing, which is why we needed to talk about that tonight. What was Cain's plan? Well, it was, I don't, I don't like this guy, so I'm going to eliminate him and re- remove him from my life. Well, what God says is, when you and I really aren't loving our fellow Christians then what are we doing? We are literally removing them and eliminating them from our life. We're trying to push them out. Now, we might not physically, you know, take their life, but we are removing them and eliminating them from our heart. And we're saying they're not that important. I'm more important. What I want is more important. Or this other thing is more important than my brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, I think, and that's why I said this passage is one that I don't think you can can just read and study it and package it and digest it and move on. I think it's something you and I have to wrestle with. Because God here is saying some pretty strong things through the Apostle John. Everyone who hates his fellow Christian is a murderer. Because, just like Cain, I'm going to remove that person and eliminate them from my life. I don't have to think about them. I don't have to do anything for them. I don't have to pray for them. I don't have to encourage them. Uh, They're not even on my radar. And that's exactly what Cain did in a physical way to his brother. I can get rid of this by just eliminating him and removing him off the scene. But from God's perspective, see, no, we can't do that. That's why I tell Christians all the time when they try to move on from relationships: you might physically think that you're moving on from relationships, especially with your brothers and sisters in Christ, but God doesn't look at it that way. God doesn't look at it that way. God says you're you're, you're still accountable. And and you still got you still got relationships. Which is why. Let's go here quickly and then we'll wrap this up. Keep your finger there in 1 John and go back to the Gospel of Matthew to chapter 5. This is why Jesus says these words. In Matthew 5, beginning at verse 21. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said to an older generation, Do not murder. And whoever murders will be subjected to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who's angry with a brother will be subjected to judgment. And whoever insults a brother, will be brought before the council, and whoever says fool will be sent to fiery hell. So then if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, not that you have something, but that you know that they have something against you. Leave your gift, Jesus says. Don't make it it about worshiping me, because worshiping me is about relationships. And and you and I have to get to a place where we value relationships, not just with God, but with each other to the point that God values them. And God says, it's okay with me that you leave your gift. In a sense, stop worshiping me and go and be reconciled. That's more important to me. Which is why then he says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and present your gift. Reach agreement quickly with your accuser while on the way to court or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge hand you over to the warden and you'll be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will never get out of there until you've paid the last penny. See, Jesus is about reconciling relationships. Jesus is about bringing relationships together and working through things, not walking away from relationships, not trying to eliminate people and remove them from my life and just keep on going. That's what Cain tried to do with his brother. And it doesn't work. We think somehow that we can move on, but we really can't. And and and, and I'll say this, that, that's why God needs to bring some real healing to people sometimes in their life through the relationships that have been broken. Because we really can't move on until we've really dealt with some things that continue to hold us back and we hang on to. And that's what John's trying to get across here. And then notice what he says at the end back in 1 John 3.15. He says, you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. He doesn't mean that that means that we lose our salvation or that we're not saved. He's saying that God's quality of life is not the primary influence in my life. If I'm acting that way towards my brothers and sisters in Christ. God wants to give me a quality of life. And that quality of life that He calls me to should be the primary influence in my life. And therefore, if I know that God is primarily influencing my life, I will know it because I'm loving other people, especially my brothers and sisters, especially my fellow Christians. That my relationship with them will be a priority. It will be important to me. I won't, it won't be about me, it'll be about them. And I won't be like Cain who simply tries to, to go through life just sort of moving on and just sort of removing people and eliminating them out of my mind and thinking somehow it's okay. Because God says relationships are important. And until you and I learn to do relationships well, then really our relationship with God suffers. Because God wants us to do relationships well, so that not only our relationships with one another will thrive, but so our relationship with God will thrive. So that instead of just trying to live through life, sort of removing and eliminating God from life and living as if He doesn't exist and living very independently, we live in absolute dependence on Him every day, knowing we need Him. Because again, even going back to what God said to Cain, do you have power to subdue this sin that is crouching at the door, that just is poised to attack like a wild animal and and looking for an opportunity to strike? I know I don't have that power to subdue it. It's only through God that I have that power. and That's why I need the Lord every day in my life. I can't live one moment without Him. And God wants us to see the value then of coming together and being connected to each other in these absolutely essential, vital relationships and learning to do life with one another the way the Bible says we should. Again, From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, John 13, John 15, Jesus taught his followers, love one another. And that's what John said. John is saying to all of us, guys, let's cut through all this stuff and let's boil it down. Let's begin to love one another. Let's pray. God, thank you for your Amazing love for us. A love that many times, God, we reject. We pass by. We we pass over. We, We don't embrace it, enjoy it, experience it as we should. And Lord, we even find ourselves doing that with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, there's all these wonderful people around us people that know you, people that have a relationship with you, and we we don't seize the opportunities to love them as we should. But God, there is no greater evidence, no greater sign that you are in our lives than when we love one another, when we lay down our lives for others rather than making life about us. And so God, I pray that the love that is here tonight in these people and In us, God, would continue to grow. And that, that Lord, that we would truly love as You love us. That we would make that the standard of our love relationships with one another. And God, I thank You for the folks in this room tonight. Many whom I know pretty well. I thank You, God, for the relationship that I have with them. I thank You, God, for their encouragement and love and support in my life. It's so important, God. And I pray that all of us would would just have a renewed value for one another. A renewed value for our relationships with each other. And that God, in the time that we have left here on earth, We would truly seek to come together and and continue to build and maintain these relationships and friendships with each other. Because Lord, that's what you call us to. You call us and command us to love one another. May that love permeate us individually and corporately in the days in which we live. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for coming. We'll see you on Sunday.